Chapter 19 of A Vanished Hand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. A Vanished Hand by Sarah Dowdney. Chapter 19 Conclusion. And now those vivid hours are gone, like mine own life to me thou art, where past and present, wound in one, do make a garland for the heart. Tennyson It was the evening of the day after the picnic, and all Rushbrook had already heard the news. The Danforths had heard it in the morning from Arnold himself, and Mrs. Verdon had heard it in the afternoon from the Danforths. Catherine Verdon was an unemotional woman. She did not feel in the least inclined to go into hysterics or make bitter speeches. Mrs. Tell, who watched her narrowly, could not detect the slightest change in her demeanour. She remarked that Miss Kilner was very pretty, really quite beautiful, and no one could be surprised at the turn that things had taken. "'I don't know,' replied her sister-in-law. I confess I am surprised. You ought to have married somebody in a better position. Oh, a position is good enough, Mrs. Verdon answered, and she will suit him exactly. He is a man who will demand a great deal of devotion from his wife, and she will give him all he needs. It would have been bad for him if he had married a woman whose supply was not equal to the demand. What do you suppose would have happened in that case? Mrs. Tell asked. She would have been bored, and he would have been disappointed and restless. I think he would have taken to wandering again. But there is no fear of that now. You will see that this will be an ideal marriage. Having said this, Catherine went quietly out of the room and took her way upstairs to the side of Jamie's bed. He was asleep, but the heat had flushed him, and he tossed the bedclothes away from his rosy limbs and murmured in his sleep. Nurse had gone down to her supper. There was no one to see Catherine as she bent over the child with a look of tenderness in her eyes. My life is in my own hands, she thought. I have not given myself up to anyone else, and it is better as it is. I love the boy. He is the only thing I really care for. Just then he gave another toss and opened his eyes with a fretful little wail. Seeing Catherine, he put out his arms and said, Mummy! She soothed him with her sweet voice and soft touch, gave him a draught of lemonade, and then laid him down again, calmed and refreshed, to fall into a deep slumber. Yes, it was all well, she repeated to herself. She had her own life, her own pleasures, her own ways. To give up anything that was hers, to change any of her plans, would have cost her more than it costs most women. She was not fond of making sacrifices. She had never loved well enough to know the sweetness of self-surrender. Arnold Wayne had taken her fancy, but he had never won her heart. It is true that he had not tried to win it, and Catherine did not care to ask herself whether he would have succeeded if he had tried. She had felt one slight pang of jealousy, when she had been told of his engagement, and that was all. 
this quiet half-hour spent by Jamie's bed had set everything right in her life. She understood herself now, and could even think of something pretty to give Miss Kilner for a wedding present. Jamie shall give her something from himself, she decided. He is very fond of her, and she is really a nice woman. I wish them well. Yes, in all sincerity, I wish them well. If there were others who did not feel as kindly as Catherine did, there was no manifestation of ill-will. The Danforths had expected Mrs. Verdon to join them in bewailing the foolish match, but she had quietly and cleverly disappointed them. They had left her with the impression that they must have been mistaken in her from the first. She had never thought as seriously of Arnold as they had supposed. She had amused herself with their schemes and hopes, and that was all. "'I was never sure of her from the beginning,' said Mr. Danforth to his daughters. "'She has been always perfectly contented with her position. There were no signs of restlessness about her at all.' "'But you girls are dead sure of everything. "'When you take a notion into your heads, "'you can't listen to reason.' "'He had been very cross all day, "'finding fault with everything that the girls said and did, "'until he had driven them both to the verge of desperation. "'And Lily, when she went upstairs to dress for dinner, "'was wondering how she should get through that miserable meal "'without bursting into a great fit of crying.' She thought how happy Elsie Kilner must be at that moment, with Arnold as her declared lover. No doubt Francis Ryan was moping about Willow Farm in a state of unacknowledged wretchedness. She was sure that Francis had really liked that girl. She had seen his feelings plainly on the day of the picnic. Perhaps he would go away altogether from Rushbrook, unable to bear the sight of his rival's happiness. "'and this was to be the ending of Lily's dream. "'But it is best not to be too certain about endings and beginnings. "'They look so like each other sometimes "'and are apt to be so oddly mixed up in our lives. "'When you are thoroughly heart-sick and hopeless, "'dress is quite an unimportant thing. "'Lily put on a cream-white cashmere gown, "'which had seen its best days, "'noticed that the skirt was soiled, and said with Mr. Toots that it was of no consequence. There were some clusters of pink geranium in a glass on her table, and she pinned them on her bodice in a dejected fashion. Then she went downstairs slowly, with her bright cheeks paler than usual, and all her sprightliness gone. The lights were golden on the lawn, and the great cedar was casting velvety shadows there. Her father was standing under the old tree, looking so jovial and radiant that she marvelled at the sudden change in his mood. Someone, who stood with his back towards the house, was in close conversation with Mr. Danforth. "'Here she is, Ryan,' her father said, as he saw her through the open door. "'Here she is. Let her come out and answer for herself.' Francis Ryan turned, and Lily, shy and trembling, went out in obedience to Mr. Danforth's call. Perhaps her hesitation and timidity became her better than self-confidence. Anyhow, Francis thought that he had never seen her look so pretty as she did at this moment, when she came bashfully towards him under the old cedar, with a pensive look on her young face. 
"'He has come to ask me for you, Lily,' said Mr. Danforth, glowing with satisfaction. "'He has my consent, and now you must give him your answer.' Then the head of the family went off to find Mary and tell her the joyful news, and Francis and Lily stood under the dark cedar boughs together, hand in hand. She was too happy to know exactly what he was saying. She only knew that she had managed to say what was required of her, and that life had suddenly changed from gloom to glory. September had set in, and only a few stragglers had come back to London. Most people were still lingering on the seashore, or among the breezy hills, but one young woman, standing at the window of a back room in All Saints Street, was looking as happy as if she loved the view of chimney-pots and smoky tiles. It was the last day of Elsie's single life. The bell was just beginning to chime for five o'clock service. In the next room, Mrs. Leonard and Miss Saxon were closing the lids of the boxes and looking round to see that nothing had been forgotten or left out. And Elsie, standing alone in her old place, was watching the sunset shining on these crowded house roofs for the last time. Meta's manuscript, carefully tied up, was lying on the little table near. As Elsie's fingers rested on the roll, her thoughts went straying back to that evening in the early spring, when she had stood here to fight her battle in silence. It was not until that battle had been fought and won that she had known the guidance of the vanished hand. And now, in the golden quietness of this hour, she recalled some lines from In Memoriam, which seemed to come with new freshness of meaning to her mind. In vain shalt thou, or any, call the spirits from their golden day, except, like them, thou too canst say, my spirit is at peace with all. Robert and Bertha were forgiven, although the old home had passed into the hands of strangers, and the old haunts would know her footsteps no more. Mr. Leonard, too, had given up the living in Sussex, and would come, later on, to settle in Rushbrook, near Wayne's Court. Mrs. Leonard had declared that it was impossible for her to live far away from her adopted daughter, and Elsie longed to have this faithful friend always by her side. And Miss Saxon, also, had promised to say good-bye to London, and follow Elsie into her quiet world of meadows and streams. Another summer would bring Mrs. Beaton and her son into that pastoral country, just to refresh themselves with a glimpse of its sweetness and light. How Elsie would welcome the sight of those friendly faces, which had gladdened her lonesome days! Tonight for musings, tomorrow for the beginning of the new life. Tonight for memories, tomorrow for the clasp of wedded hands and the solemn troth plighted till death do us part. But there never will be a parting, said Elsie, taking a last look at the fading light of the sunset. Did not Harold and Meta walk together to the very brink of the river? And is not the vanished hand still pointing to the home of rest upon the other side? End of chapter 19 End of A Vanished Hand by Sarah Dowdney